Hello and welcome to the Last Looks podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. Now it's time for Kit Corner, where we shine a spotlight on artists who've created products with the film and television industry in mind. Products designed by artists for artists. Hi, Jamie. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, you too. Now, back in 2006, you launched a line of professional makeup brushes, Louise Young Cosmetics. Why did you start the brand? I launched the brand in 2006, really because I felt there was a need, basically, of a makeup artist-led brand and designed brand, because there really were only a couple about. And also, I was lecturing in colleges quite a lot as a visiting lecturer, and I noticed that certainly the students just didn't have much choice, you know, and they were trying to do makeups with, with really quite bad brushes. And I just did a core collection which has grown through the input of my colleagues and fellow makeup artists who've given me their ideas of brushes that they'd like in their kits. And uh, I'm very grateful to them because they're some of the best sellers. That's brilliant. Now, being a professional makeup artist yourself, how has that influenced the development of the brand? Certainly from a design point of view, I think one of the great things is that every product, every brush I have made, I have a sample made and I get them tested with my colleagues. So if I'm on a film, if we're in a crowd room or on the main bus, I get them to test them and say, look, this is my new brush, here's a prototype, will you test it for me? I'll test it, because we all use them for different things. For instance, something I use for a lip brush, I know one designer uses an eyeliner brush, and they feed back to me anything that needs to be changed, any slight change in shape, or any suggestions, and really test it. And so that when it comes out, I'm really confident that I've got a good product. That's a great way to do it. It's awesome. So why is the way your brushes are made so important to you? definitely wanted them made close to home so I could keep you know an eye on it really and be involved in the process and there is a video on my website where you can actually see them being handmade. I just didn't want a mass-produced product I wanted real craftsmen craftswomen to make them so that I could actually be part of the process and say oh could you alter this one slightly um, could you alter the shape I think this needs changing and it's you know so far it's worked and when I started I had a mixture of synthetic and real hair brushes but I became vegan a few years ago and so I thought well you know you talk the talk you've got to walk the walk and I made the whole range vegan and it took me a year to have all the styles replicated so I had sable ones made synthetic sable I had goat ones made a synthetic goat and they're fantastic the hair's absolutely fantastic yeah, I'm really proud that it's actually completely vegan. That's amazing. So being that the line is handmade in the UK, is it available worldwide? Yeah, absolutely. We um, export to 30 countries. Most of our sales are online now. I think it works easily. Shipping's great, you know, and it's just very easy to order. They're nice and light to send as well. So postage is not too much. Nice. That's great. Where can people find your products? Um, the best way is online at um, louisyoungcosmetics.com. And I've set up a code for a 20% discount for Last Looks listeners. And the coupon is LASTLOOKS20. And use that at checkout and it'll take off 20%. Oh, yay. That's awesome, Louise. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Nice to talk to you. You too. Today we are speaking with hairstylist extraordinaire Mr. Kerry Warren. Kerry shares with us his incredible journey into the world of fashion and film. We chat about his arrival to London from small town Australia and his first British Vogue cover. We talk about his work with Nicole Kidman and Stanley Kubrick to The Great Gatsby with Baz Luhrmann. What a treat. Hope you enjoy. Picture up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Hi, Kerry. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast. Hi, Jamie Lee. Thank you for inviting me. If we just kick off with the beginning of the story, yeah, really, um, did you always want to be a hairstylist? Since I was probably in my 
teenage years, not as a, a child. My, um, my, one of my sisters was a hairdresser and I had an uncle who was a barber and cousins that were, hair, that were hairdressers. So I was sort of around it. So it wasn't anything really particularly foreign to me as a child. You had creatives in the family yes, already. So, so we were sort of, not that I spent a lot of time with them, but I used to love going to the salon where my sister worked after school on my way home from school, like a little detour and sort of loved the smell of the perm lotion and, and nail polish remover and all those all those chemicals <laughs> that attracted me. To me it sounded like, you know, it was like a transformation. It's like magic, you know. They'd go in looking a bit dowdy and come out looking all fluffy and glamorous. To me they looked like movie stars, but they were just the local ladies, of course. And I think that's what got me into it. I think the 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 transformation is what interests me. The the ability to be able to transform someone. And so, with your older sister mm-hmm. already having a salon while you were younger, so you knew how to get into it. I I, I knew how to get into it um, against my parents' wishes. But I but we lived in a small country town in Australia in, in south in the southwest a place called Mount Barker. Okay, and um, it was a, like a town of two thousand people. I th- thought there's no point in doing something if you're going to do hairdressing. You want to work in the city at least. Yeah. So I finally talked my father into letting me try hairdressing against his better judgment, and because he had uh, he had racehorses. And he used to any any of them that were any good would he would send to the city. And the gentleman called Jimmy McNamara, who used to train my father's horses in the city's son-in-law mm. was a hairdresser. Oh, okay. So my father put in a word, and between the two boys at the race course and over a beer, I think they decided that they'd probably <laughs> maybe give me a chance and see how I went. And that was it, basically. That's how I started. That's fantastic. So you just skipped the small town salon and went straight to the city. So that was in Perth? Yes, and I had to do in a five-year, sign a contract to do a five-year apprenticeship. It was five years? God, mine was only three. <laughs> that was in those days. That was, that was in the 60s. I wonder if you guys were doing the same hours, like op- opening hours in the salon. Did you have late nights and working Saturdays and things? No, we worked Saturdays. Um, we worked from sort of eight in the morning till sort of one on Saturdays. Okay. Closed Sundays and no, and really no late night trading. And unless it was a sort of like, I think holiday seasons, we probably have done did late nights. You know, sort of like New Year's Eve or something was a bit later. You know, people getting ready for parties and things, but not okay. not really late nights. I don't think it's as the heaviest work schedule as what they do have now and salons and things. Yeah. But, you know, I used to do sort of five days in the salon, like four days in the salon, one day a week, technical training college. So we're learning all those sort of the structure of skin and hair and things at technical college and yeah. basically shampooing, cleaning up in the salon, really, you know. Yeah, I think I was kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. But I'm kind of glad it wasn't five years. That's a long time. Well, it, it actually went quite quick, and you know, still friends with all those all those guys that I trained with. You know, there, there were like about four of us done in the same year, and we get together when I go home and have a few drinks. Oh, nice, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so starting in the salon, mm-hmm. did you always know you didn't want to stay in the salon? Like, no, you- no, no. I thought I thought that'd that'd be my thing. We used to have this saying: if I'm standing behind a chair when I'm thirty, kill me. <laughs> well, double and that. back then you thought 30 was old right <laughs> way too old to be doing hairdressing you know and way too old to be sort of standing behind a chair you want to be sitting in yeah. that chair <laughs> during my training and things um i started to i think it was about the third year and i sort of thought i wasn't really very good at hair and i sort of you, mm-hmm. you know went through this panic thing so i thought either i've got to get my act together or get out of it mm-hmm. You know, right? And because the people I was working with around me were doing better than what I was, sort of their work was far superior. And um, I thought, you know what, I've got to show them I could do something. And suddenly, everything I was learning at technical college and in the salon and from different the different stylists I was helping during the days, and things suddenly all clicked in together. They all saw it works. Mm-hmm. This is how you do it. And it all sort of it seemed to be like not an overnight revelation but a sort of it seemed to happen within a short amount of time that all, all the components slipped together 
and thought, right. And I started doing things, and there was the odd magazine, like the newspaper wasn't really a magazine, mm. but you know, sort of like the Sunday papers, which would have a color supplement. And I was sort of yeah. like to do hair for that. So I started doing sort of a few fashion shoots. We had a few models coming into the salon. And I was working, doing their hair and things for that. And then started getting booked to do the local fashion shows and sort of how they have, you know, they weren't sort of big designer shows or sort of like more department mm-hmm. chore shows. Then then I got involved in doing some charity things for the for different charity organizations and then putting on hair shows. You know, it's got to started to get involved with sort of like putting on hair shows to raise money for charity and things like this. And so that's when all the creative things all slipped together. So I had all the girls I worked with as my models because they had yeah. to do what I told them to do. They didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, they yeah. weren't going to be my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and it's your vision instead of somebody else coming in and saying, can you please do this for me? And you're like, oh, the same thing again. Oh. And, and it, was, it, was, it was great in that sense. And um, so I had a little a little bit of bit of work going on you know uh, other than just the salon and i used to go at and uh, we used to have a lot of ladies of the night come in the salon and i used to do their hair because they were quite a fun fun group of girls so to speak and yeah this sounds like a great salon you've got like models coming in you're doing fashion stuff you've got ladies of the night coming in great <laughs> one of the madams there uh, and her name was Dory. She was a fabulous character, and she sort of like she had the most beautiful hair pieces I've ever seen to this day. Um, and yeah. there was sort of she was bleached platinum blonde, and these this was bleached platinum European hair hair pieces she used to come oh. in with. They're amazing. Yeah. We got into this whole thing, and I, I was obsessed with I Dream of Jeannie. Mm-hmm. So this is got to think it's the sixties, and um, I used to do all these looks on her because she was loving it. Because it was she was in yeah. she was running the show her show so to speak yeah <laughs> and, yeah yeah and she, with all these sort of like ponytails and braids and da 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 and all these sort of things so I have this great creative outlet for me anyway one New Year's Eve I got really carried away and gave her this sort of beehive I dream of genie ponytail break you name it all on like <laughs> <laughs> the whole nine yards anyway she'd been to a party and she was in a car accident afterwards and she. She went through the windscreen head first. Oh, no. Apparently yeah. in days before seat belts and things like this. And at the uh-huh. um, at A&E, the doctor said to her, well, you should thank your hairdresser. It's all this padding <laughs> you've got in your hair. He said you couldn't be it's wearing like a, a scratch. <laughs> she said, I cut the scratches from hairpins in her head and picked out all the glass <laughs> and it was fine. <laughs> so there we are. I've wow. saved someone's life <laughs> with a hairdresser. Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. But it's so nice to have clients that you know that odd client that will just let you go for it and do whatever you whatever you want exactly you know and she used to get encourage your girls to come into if they needed buffing up and things like this and i used to mm-hmm. go around to their places of work shall we say after after yeah. work sometimes and give them comb outs and and things like this you know it was a sort of a great way of earning some extra cash and saving up to, to go to london yeah. basically because that, that was my dream to go to london to work this was all happening in perth by the way yeah and yeah. um i thought oh you know i'll go to Sydney but after a few years I thought it was Sydney it's just going to be like Perth but a bit bigger you know Mm -hmm. just skip it I mostly just go to Europe and see what I can learn you know absolutely and I don't know whether you felt the same but it's like when you feel that you're so far away from the rest of the world that you're not quite up to speed with what's going on in the rest of the world hair wise or fashion wise or whatever like I did my training and everything in a small town I think I was lucky enough to have a, a boss and a trainer who had come from a big city Right. And moved to a small town. So she still had that fashion conscious um, competition work and all that type of thing right. in the forefront of her mind. But yeah, I, I was just constantly dreaming of going somewhere else. <laughs> well, yeah, you just want to spread your wings, basically, you know? Yeah. And um, so I sort of saved doing those sort of things, working after work and uh, um, you're doing late hours and things like this there. Um, I would save enough money to be able to get my fair 
when I finished my apprenticeship and got all my diploma and things, I went to London. Mm. And, and did you have any contacts there or no, you just – absolutely no? not. I went there and arrived with one suitcase and sort of thought, <laughs> well, I better get a job. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a couple of friends that I used to work with that were in Italy working. So we all sort of go – to London looking for jobs and I finished up working in a little salon in in Knightsbridge just opposite Harrods which was okay okay you know wasn't yeah. sort of like I thought mm, it's not really what I think London's about and then I heard that there was this Australian hairdresser working for Elizabeth Arden um, they used to have a big salon on Bond Street I thought god if he's okay. Australian get a job I could probably get a job there you know thinking, Absolutely. <laughs> thinking you know <laughs> You have this sort of false confidence. Anyway, mm-hmm. went in there, um, did my trial, got the job, and um, the sort of the following week, and I showed them my portfolio, my little portfolio I'd had from Australia with a few tear sheets from the magazines and sort of quotes from newspapers and stuff like this. And yeah. um, they said, oh, next week we're having a, a fashion show within the salon. We want you to do all the hair. I said, oh, that's fine. And there was about six models which was mm-hmm. fine, and um, the guest of honours was, was Princess Margaret. So, oh uh, so you know, I'm thinking, okay, this it's is exciting. This, this is what it's about. <laughs> you know, we're getting yeah. there somewhere. Um, and then from that, it was that was quite successful. I was asked to do um, their next ad campaign for Elizabeth Arden to oh, do cool. the hair, and I. Sort of suddenly, I was in like a really serious photographic studio, and and sort of mm-hmm. like with beautiful models, and and sort of quite different to Perth, to so to speak, yeah. and um, that led to sort of uh, actually, I think was yeah, was literally about six months after that, I got a call from um, British Vogue to do the cover with David Bailey. Um, and which I do. So that's a pretty incredible jump. <laughs> it is, but um, that's awesome. <laughs> but I thought it was sort of normal at that age. You know, you yeah. think you're there, and you want to do it, and it's what it's all about. And and when you think of there's so many, so many talented hairdressers all over the world, and so many talented people, especially at that time in London as well. You know, which people were looking at for sort of seventies. You know, sort of early seven. This is the early seventies. And um, yeah, you know, I was quite lucky. Yeah, that was in that was in 1972. I did my first folk cover. Wow! So you must have made an impression pretty quickly in London yeah. then. And then it all sort of like subsided a bit, you know. And you started doing sort of just salon work and bits and pieces. A little bit of editorial came in here and there. And just to remind you that you're that, that you're, you're really not that fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> you have to bloody you have to pull your bloody self together and get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I thought it was all free sailing from that point. No. Um, anyway, um, from that point, yeah, so I, I just decided th- that I needed to sort of advance m- my techniques. So um, mm-hmm. after a couple of years, I went and I went to work for Leonard's. What's Leonard's? Leonard's was the most fabulous hairdressers in the world, I think. He, they trained, he trained with um, Fidel Sassoon. They oh, trained okay. together at a place mm-hmm. called Avansky's in London. And, okay. Uh, and Leonard went on to do his thing and Leonard did all the hair for Barry Lyndon. I don't know whether you remember the Sandy Kubrick movie, Barry Lyndon. Yes. Anyway, he did that. But he was the most fabulous session hairdresser. He did any everybody that was sort of fabulous in London in the 70s, like from Sandra Rose to Bianca Jagger to Marissa Berenson. I mean, the salon was just a bevy of starlets, models, fabulous. It was It was like, I don't know, I can't imagine, I can't explain. It was a, it was a townhouse. It was four floors. Um, yeah. And the ground floor was a sort of a little shop, you know, sort of the reception and shop. And then the other three floors were hairdressing and colouring and hair treatments and things like this. And he had the most fabulous group of hairdressers that are absolutely legendary. Um, and But his his work alone, you should check it out because he's one of the, the great, great hairdressers, I think, in the world. That's amazing. So you must have been like a kid in a candy store. Well, it was. It was like my eyes were out in sticks, you know, I mean, these people and, the, <laughs> and these, the looks that were coming out, you know, sort of like these amazing sort of like get at someone's hair and turning it into an afro and, you know what I mean, just yeah. doing the most amazing things like – 
really quite brilliant. And um, I can't find the words to explain how fabulous and exciting it was, but absolutely made no money whatsoever. But I learned a lot, you know, and I used to go out on sessions with the with the senior stylists, you know, to assist them. Um, I, John Frieda worked there. I mean, oh, fantastic. And, and I used to go and be John's assistant sometimes. Um, yeah. And, you know, like a most amazing, amazing, amazing time, I, I think. But because I didn't was, wasn't making any money, I had to sort of be realistic. So I did have rent to pay and I needed to go mm-hmm. out and need to get something to eat. But I was much slimmer in those days. So maybe there's something <laughs> To say for, something to say for it. <laughs> so anyway, still be broke. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I got offered a job back at Arden if I wanted to go. So I thought, mm-hmm. well, listen, I've got to go and make some money. I went back. They offered me a very nice salary. Yeah. I went back, but I knew I'd made the wrong moves the first week I'd went back because right. it wasn't, I didn't have the, the creative energy or the people around me. I think that's the most important thing is the people that are around you to inspire you. I think is oh, one of the yeah. most one of the most important things, you know, for our work. And I yeah, think as totally. soon as that's lacking, it's uphill battle. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, well, it just becomes a bit monotonous, doesn't yeah, it? It does, it does. And um, You want that inspiration, those fabulous people walking through the door. You're like, oh, who's uh, going to come in today? And what, exactly. what are they going to look like when they leave? But even the people you're working with, you know, sort of Absolutely, like, yeah. you know, to inspire you as well, saying, oh, God, I never thought of doing that, or that's great, mm. or, you know, and, and not being too guarded to not be able to share their their experiences, which I, I've, I've always sort of carried that with me. Hopefully I still am like that, you know, sort of like I'm not afraid to sort of – I suppose when I was younger I was different. I was a bit more guarded because you didn't want anybody to copy you. But then again, yeah. when you realise that it's not about – no one ever does it the same. It's, it's no. about taking learning something and putting your spin on it, and that's what makes Absolutely. us individuals, you know. We have to learn the technique and the craft, yeah. Yeah, and it's just having that security within yourself to yeah. just be able to share that knowledge. But I think you're amazing at sharing, um, very gracious. There are still a lot of stylists out there that they don't want to show you a thing. They want you to just work it out yourself. And it's like, no, 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 show me. I want to know how you did that. How did you do and then that? You think, well, that works for them, but it doesn't work for me sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But you want to know how they did it. So, and then you can, you know, do it your own way. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that with, with, with going back, then I, then I sort of, got a job uh, some a friend of mine was working she was actually a manicurist i used to work with at arden so i got yeah. a job with molten brown oh okay and and she said why don't you come and work there everyone's really fun and it's a it's a whole new technique and it's all natural i'd learned sort of structured hairdressing sort of like really old school so you know sort of you know practicing my finger waves and pin curls and doing all my mm-hmm. stuff at technical college which you know, we had to do yeah. which remained in good stead until this day. I still sort of, every finger wave, I still think of that teacher <laughs> and yeah. being wrapped across the knuckles so I wasn't doing it right. <laughs> oh, I didn't quite have that experience, but I do remember I do remember asking, why do we even have to learn this? And she was yeah. like, so you can control hair, so you can learn how to mould it. And I was like, yeah. oh, gotcha. I'm going to nail this. Let's do it. Right. Well, <laughs> my, mine said to me, you want to be a lady's hairdressing? Do ladies' hair. I think mine was a little tougher. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, absolutely. But I learned. <laughs> yeah. And um, so anyway, I so went for this interview at Moulton Brown. I got the job mm-hmm. and it was t- totally different because in those days they um, it was all about their concept was no hairspray, very minimal hair products, no sort of setting lotions, no fixatives, whatever, to use the natural flow of the hair. Wow. Which I'd never done. And I thought it was absolutely amazing because it was totally divorced from everything that I'd learned. Were they still trying to achieve those same styles but without doing that? Or was it the, the fashion had kind of shifted? No, the, no, it, the fashion had gone, you know, it's a much more easier sort of like in the 70s, it's sort of like, like got, it was a more of a natural sort of what we call a sort of probably organic look, so to speak. You know, yeah. if you had wavy hair, you'd go with the wave. But we all we dried the hair very, using very minimal hair dryers. There were no hood oh, wow. dryers. It was all dried yeah. with your hands. 
with finger drying to give it body wow. and, to, and, and yeah. to, to mold the curls and things like this. And they had this fabulous product called Seaweed Setting Lotion, which actually wasn't a setting lotion at all. It was like an anti-static lotion. But it was okay. all derived from seaweed and different herbs and things. I don't know what the component, other components were. But you'd put a little bit of that on the hair and it would help to so when you're drying it, the static. But it was it was a great look. And it's it's great for me to use when, when you're doing sort of like natural looks on film on, and things like this. I still use those techniques. You know, they were sort of like to dry the hair and sort of not, not to use a sort of diffuser or anything, but to dry with your hands, you know, to work yeah. with wigs like that is sometimes brilliant as well. It's awesome. They sound like they were quite kind of a hit of their time. Like they had a vegetarian kitchen downstairs in the salon. It was very advanced. It was it was sort of like the thing to do to have in London, and it was on South Moulton yeah. Street, which was like a sort of fancy shopping street near Bond Street. You know, it was sort of it was a okay. it was a really nice environment. It was all sort of like ferns and very green, so to speak. What we call green <laughs> now. While you were working there, were you still doing little bits on the side? Oh, absolutely! Still doing fashion and stuff like this. Doing a lot and started working a lot with British folk. And I did, God knows how many covers I've done with British folk and editorials and things. But I also started doing TV commercials as well, which oh, okay. sort of was a bit of training for film for me. Is that commercials for like beauty brands or for, just for, general for, for all sorts of beauty hair products? hair color products like uh, L'Oreal, Clairol, things like that, um, and, and, you know, skincare. Um, I did car commercials, I, everything, anything to get out of, the, out of the salon racing and get in the studio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't greedy. I'd just take everything. <laughs> no, well, it's just having that variety. It keeps you interested. But it's just learning and learning it. You know, and it's sort of like you, but you're constantly learning. And I think that's what's another great thing about our, our profession is we're constantly learning. You know, you go into, yeah. into a new job and it's absolutely a new group of people, a new concept. You know, it's, it's like rethinking it again. Don't you find? Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I think that's what made me think I can't work in a salon for the rest of my life. I can't walk into the same building and work with the same people every day. I'm just going to flatline. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, some people are really amazing at it. You know, I'd really admire them. I think they're all different levels of hairdressing. Yeah. Absolutely suited to that, and I do it unbelievably, you know, and other people, you know, are in it because they just want to be stars or something like this. Um, yeah. You know, it's, all, it's all different. I think it's all different levels, you know, and but I think what's exciting Exciting is the creation of it. You know, yeah. sometimes the maintenance can, maintenance can get laborious, but that's in every job. You know what I mean? At the same time, knowing how to maintain, you know, that that one client that comes in every four, five, six weeks, and to keep her looking the same, and to keep her happy, exactly, is great training for going into film and television and stuff. Oh, well, exactly. Well, it's, and it's also, you know, and and to dealing with people, yeah, and how to deal with people and. You know, and th those are very, very important things you learn very young, which I think is amazing, you know. I think so. And the art of consultation. Yeah. So just being able to get their thoughts and to like the, you're on the same page. Exactly, exactly. So from that, that point on, from doing all that, I decided, well, you know, and I worked a bit in Paris and, and Italy and things like this, but not massively. You know, um, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I'm no good at languages, so I'm a, a bit of try America. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done London. So I yeah. sort of packed my bags and go off to to live in New York. Oh, fantastic. Where I had uh, once again used my editorial contacts which I'd I'd met a lot of a lot of people from um, from doing the Vogue stuff, a lot of photographers and things. Very yeah. one called Albert Watson who I still work with actually to this day. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. And um, I went there and sort of started working in New York doing editorial. And once again, the same, almost the same thing as I started doing editorial. Then I started doing commercials and, mm -hmm. and doing things like this. And then in about nine, oh God, 1980 something. And I'm just trying to think of what, what year it was. I can't remember offhand, but it's in the 80s. Um, 
A friend of mine had designed hair and makeup, a guy called Anthony Clavey, who'd done The Cotton mm-hmm. Club, the movie. And um, yeah. he, he'd worked on a movie, he was working on a movie called Revenge with Tony Scott and Anthony Quinn okay. and Kevin Costner and Madeleine Stowe. And apparently wow. there's, they had, there's, so, there's some problem with the hairdresser on the show. Mm-hmm. So I get a call in the middle of the night. I was in Italy working and he said, this is this film I'd really like you to come and help out if you can. Um, yeah. And I thought, God, I can't do a movie. I don't have been on a movie set, I mean, on a television. But that's, you know, you're there for what, two days, maybe three, four if you're lucky, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and I sort of like, God, I can't. He said, Listen, you've got 10 minutes to make up your mind because we've got to find someone. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, well, the worst thing they could do is they could throw me off the set if I'm I'm useless. That's that's the worst that could happen. So I thought, go for it. (laughs) So I did. It's a movie called Revenge. And where was that shot? It's shot in Mexico, actually. No, in Mexico. Mexico. Oh, yeah. Wow, cool. In um, Mexico City, Cuenavaca, and Puerto Vallarta. And we did those. Oh, my goodness. And so it was fabulous. And I, I love Mexico. It was beautiful. And I love the Mexican people actually I think they're wonderful wonderful people um yeah I love Mexico oh anyway so that was my first movie then I thought well I'll just go back to New York and have a a sort of a bit of a normal life carrying on doing what Mm -hmm. I did before then I got a call from um the producers one of one of the the second AD a guy called Jim Scotchdepole um he was on Mrs. America with us, um, but he but he he was a line producer on Mrs. America. Oh, nice. Any, anyway, so he he called he called me up because I'd worked with him with a revenge and said, "Listen, we're doing this this uh, movie down in um, in." Um, Buenos Aires and said oh, to wow. he said do you want to do it it's 1920s and I said oh mm-hmm. god I've always wanted to do 1920s I love the 20s oh my god yeah, yeah, like yeah. a dream and I thought oh my god I'm never going to remember how to do a finger wave I can brush up on my pink girls I thought oh shit should I do it I went through this dilemma anyway I did it <laughs> And I had this fabulous <laughs> assistant called Isabel Natori, and she didn't mm-hmm. speak a word of English, but she had the most <laughs> most fabulous test. Because I said to the I said to the production, I said I need someone that really knows their stuff here, you know, because on one I don't yeah. speak the language, I need someone that can handle doing finger waves, da da da, like this. Anyway, so we're in this little office testing. Isabel walks in. She's tiny, smoking, mm. and. Um, <laughs> I and I explained with an interpreter that I needed to see her f- do finger waves. She took a drag on mm. a cigarette, put it on the counter, wet the hair, did the whole head, and picked the cigarette up before the ash dropped. Said, <laughs> yeah, okay, that is, you, yeah, you, you can do yeah, it. You got the and job. Look, and looked at me like uh, she could have killed me. I thought she's the girl. She's the girl for me. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's gonna. But we used to have these amazing conversations. Neither of us. She didn't speak English. I didn't speak Spanish. And yet we talked all day. We get, get told to shut up and get on. But we like, and I understood every single word because she was so oh dramatic. She's so animated that you could get, you know. And she was so protective of me. She was unbelievable because I had, all, I had a collection of vintage 20s hair, hair combs that I'd taken for yeah. some big ball scene and party scenes we were having. And um, the movie was called Naked Tango, by the way. And um, and it wasn't porn. No, so it had Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she she would say she'd say to me, you know, she'd sort of like look at me and say, "Be careful, you watch watch her because I don't trust her." She she'd obviously worked on another movie and she's probably a bit light fingered or something like this. So, oh. I mean, she was brilliant. I mean, lovely, lovely, adorable woman. Adorable. Those things make jobs magic, you know? Oh, absolutely. Just meeting those characters. She sounds amazing. Have, what Does she just continue doing no, hair well, or I, like, I did you stay in touch with her? I think she's passed now. No, I I, I oh. used to for years. I used to send her little gifts from New York and things like this. And she loved oh dressing goodness. up and she was just a lovely, lovely lady. Oh, that's so sweet. And she said, and she, said to me, she wanted me to meet her mother because her mother spoke English. Oh, so, nice. so I went to this big birthday dinner for her and the mother was there and the mother could say, hello, how are you? Don't 
it was a real pleasure. <laughs> I'm sure you still had a blast. I did. I, well, I had enough wine. I, didn't, I spoke Spanish in the end, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now, was that the first time on those two jobs that you'd dealt with, like, the um, humidity, dealing with the hair and everything, or it wasn't you were there at a good season and it wasn't too bad? Well, were there in quite good seasons, like, Cuenavaca, for instance, is the most beautiful weather. If you've ever had a chance to go there, it's like every day is like a perfect spring day. So it's like clean, oh, dry, no yeah. humidity. Um, Mexico City is another story. Um, Puerto Vallarta is a little bit more humid there. That's by the ocean, isn't it? Yeah, around, around the water. It's, it's a bit more humid, but, you know, the great thing with 20s hair, it's not going to drop that much because it's so scalp-like and, and like close to the head-shaped you know, like a, a yeah. little bobs and things weren't going anywhere. Um, I think always were nailed in, basically. Yeah. I think it's always my first thought when someone tells me that a film is on a location, I'm like, what's the weather like there? Right. <laughs> what am I going to be dealing with and battling with? Yeah, exactly. If you're doing Marie Antoinette, I think it's time to worry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Think, oh, my Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So on Revenge, were you the hair designer on that or were you just helping out? I was just doing um, Kevin Costner, Anthony Quinn, and Madeline Stowe. Oh, okay, cool. But on on um, I was the head designer on Naked Tango, my first design Amazing. job, and it still looks it just does still doesn't look too bad when I I see it comes it pops up quite even quite late on television sometimes, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's um, it still doesn't look too bad. You know I'm going to have to watch it now. Um, I haven't I'm seen not it. Embarrassed, I'm not embarrassed about it. That's for sure. I don't want to dive under the dive under the seat when it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's always a good well, sign. It's always a positive. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened next? Back to New York, back to normal yep. life, carried on. and thought, never going to do another movie. That's it. Got the 20s out of my mm-hmm. system. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was sort of like, you know, when you, I got caught in a bit of a rut in New York, you know, and I've lucky enough to have lots of jobs and bought a lovely apartment, had a really nice time, have some wonderful friends there. But I still thought that, you know what, I need to prove myself one more time. So, so I thought mm-hmm. I'll go back to London, and but I'll go yeah. back freelance this time, not associated with a salon, mm-hmm. and which I did. And then I got approached by John, John Frieda, yeah. who asked me, asked me to get involved with the product side of the John Frieda products. At those at that time, and um, I was a bit apprehensive. I thought, you know, I sort of I credited my name to a couple of other hairdressers once in a while, but it wasn't sort of something that I was sort of really particularly happy with. And then mm-hmm. I sort of thought, you know, why not? You know, I know John, I know his reputation, and and things like this, and the products are good, and and I thought. Well, why not? And which led to sort of like a twenty-year contract I had with them. Um, I don't anymore. But it was a great, great, great learning curve for me because I sort of I had to go out and, and sort of not sell the product so much, but I, like um, for the press, launch products for them for the press and things like this, which was which was really good learning curve and sort of sp- speaking to people about the products and learning all the background of them and and the technology and and things like this, which was a, was a whole other area for me, which I'd never ever ever delved into before. And um, yeah, totally, but. At that time, apparently my name came up a few times when Stanley Kubrick was looking for someone to do hair on Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. And um, I was asked to go for a meeting to meet Mr. Kubrick. That's amazing. <laughs> You're just like, what is happening? <laughs> I thought, I'm not doing a movie. I've done my movies. What? I said, no. I'm not. I had to get on a train. <laughs> I had to get on a, on a train, I think, from King's Cross up to St. Albans, where he lived at the time, and um, mm. all the way up there. No, I'm not interested. I'm not doing, but I was curious about him. That's where I was going. Yeah. And, and then um, I think it was probably less than half an hour after meeting him, I was saying, yes, okay. <laughs> so he talked very you into persuasive, it. <laughs> very persuasive. Because yeah. um, I sort of talked myself completely out of it and I was just being curious. And I, But that when, when we started filming, well, first of all, I had to – he said, I will show you a script. You're not allowed to take mm-hmm. it out of the office. I had to stand in the hallway, read the script, and give it back to him. Oh, my God, that would have taken me like two days. 
such well, a slow reader. <laughs> so, so, so am I. So I had to sort of scan it quickly and sort of like, yeah. like this. And I said, I'm going to probably need quite a few assistants. He said, I don't want any assistance. And said, he said, I want you to do the hair. And I said, Stanley, there's party scenes with 200 people. You're never going to get them on the set by the time I'm finished. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's going to be 11 o'clock at night. You know what I mean? We, so anyway, I didn't know anybody in the in the in the film industry at that point mm. in London. And yeah. um, I said the only ones I knew was the guys I was working with were John Frieda. So I said to him, "Do you want to come and help me just do a bit of hair?" You know. So I gathered them up. And that experience of a lifetime, they'd come and they helped me out just doing a few blow dries because it, it had to look pretty contemporary, the whole thing. Yeah. So, um, but thank goodness he let you have somebody else. Otherwise, he said to me, this is the only argument. He said, this is the first argument you're going to win. And he said, and the only one. I said, okay. I said, if it's not gonna, if I can't produce what is necessary, it's meant to be a New York style party, and the yeah. people are not going to have their hair done. It's going to look ridiculous, Stanley, because you yeah. know those women are high maintenance, especially sort of those high end parties. You know, it's all about blow dries and da da. They're done. You know. Yeah, he would have appreciated your honesty, I'm sure. You know, they're not, they're not rocking up in a ponytail and things. You know what no. I mean? And um, yeah, no, but it, we had. A, I love Stanley. He was. Wonderful, wonderful man and great sense of humor. And um, we were together for two years working on that project. Went over a How long, sorry? Two years. Oh, wow. It went from, I think, 97 to 98 to 99, I think. We, had to, we went through those three years on it, but over a period of two years. Just kind of off and on, it wasn't consistent. No, no, pretty much. We had a one break, one summer break. Oh my goodness. They gave the actors a break. That's fascinating. And then there was just, Robert McCann was doing makeup and I was doing hair. Robert was a wonderful makeup artist um, who's no longer with us. Um, and we became great friends and I mean, well, there's only two of us. He was doing makeup and I was doing hair and that was it, yeah. basically. Um, I mean, over that period of time too, the, yeah. you know, all those long hours and days. Um, and Oh, my God. He used, to, he used to wake me up and set as I'd fall asleep snoring, so to speak. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> anyway, but Stanley was a fantastic, fantastic human and, and wonderful, wonderful man to be around. And um, it was sort of like there was only about 26 of us on the whole, whole film. It was like doing a student film, you know. And we sort of a wonderful. Um, I think it, if I'm correct, it came in under budget. I think okay. after all that time, because he had so little crew, and sort of you know was quite amazing, amazing yeah. experience. And from that point, Tom asked me to do Mission Impossible Two. Oh wow! So that's completely different to Eyes Wide Shut, isn't it? Exactly. So <laughs> we're we off to go to Australia with Tom and Tandy Newton, and mm-hmm. um, I was the hair designer on that as well, um, And but doing Tom and Tandy on set. Um, yeah, you found that quite different, like just getting into that action side of things? What was great was with John Woo, who was wonderful, and it's great to see all that action and sort of do all the – I'd never done anything like that before. It's the first time I'd ever done sort of action movie, so it was – Having stunt doubles and, and all, all that, that kind of thing. sort of stuff. But talked John into um, – because there was a thought about Tom should have his hair like Mission Impossible 1, which was short, sort of military cut. And speaking to John Woo, I said, well, don't you think it would heighten the action if the hair was flying around? a bit because he was growing his hair hadn't cut it from eyes wide shut and had grown down a little bit because it was sort of wasn't too short in that it was yeah sort of like a bit like a blow-dried look you know if nice. eyes wide shut yeah. and they thought you know, to ease it up and sort of have it down sort of like and I, I thought he looked great actually he looked very really quite handsome yeah and um with the hair all spinning and round and things and all those motorbike shots and things like this very cool um so yeah that that was great that was a great time in australia i think we were there for about six months shooting um did a little bit in in la uh, towards the end but um that was a great you know it was a good experience and then back to london to my life and yeah. really I'm just trying to think what happened next. Oh, that's right. Um, I did a, a, Nicole wanted me to do a movie called The Others, which was. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Which was filmed in Spain in Madrid. So we went all pack up and go off to do that. Um, so was that the first time you'd worked as a personal? Absolutely. Just, just, yeah, just the one, uh, you know, it obviously worked with Nicole and Eyes Wide Shut, but it's the first time I'd yeah. done personal. So 
so to speak. And um, the director, Alejandro Amenabar, um, first of all, his idea was to have a with lots of lots of red hair, sort of like a little bit 1940s mm. sort of feel to it. And my thought was, do you think after reading the script, do you think it'll give the game away if we make her look like, you know, too like that? You know what I mean? Because in the end, the reveal is they're all dead, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I said, so So we decided to make her look a little bit more like 1930s hair. Mm-hmm. So it's back because she was meant to live on the Channel Islands. And I said, well, she wouldn't be sort of cutting edge London look in the 40s. Yeah. You know, she would have been a bit backdated, I thought. And we took the, and I thought to to make her look like she wasn't alive as much is to take the red out of the hair and yeah. make it look, and make it look more somber. And that's what we Absolutely. did basically. And, and it went there. And I think it was I think it was the correct thing to do. It was one of my favourite hairdos actually on Nicole. That look. I really enjoyed that film. I love that twist at the end. It yes. was just like what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, it was good. He's a brilliant director. Wonderful. It's so nice to be able to work with a director to kind of just work out those little bits and pieces within the story. Like the, subtle, the subtlety your, of it, yes. Yeah, and just your your side of of that. I mean, because it all comes into costume and makeup and the set design and all that type of stuff. So it's nice to have that little story of your own within. Within, the, within all that structure, yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And then what you did you did quite a few films with Nicole, didn't you? So you a did lot. Cold Mountain. Was how was that? It was quite brilliant. I mean, the because we're up in the mountains in um, in Romania. Oh wow! Okay. And um, it was it was brilliant. They built all these farms, obviously. Because mm-hmm. you know we're in Romania, um, yeah, and grew grew all these cornfields. Um, you know, we're there for six months from the summer to the winter to get all the winter shots in. Um, mm-hmm. I was it was it was lovely. It was a lo- I, I I I liked the movie. It was it was I I don't know. Did it get well received? I'm not sure now. I think it did. I mean, I thought uh, I thought they were all great in it. I thought I loved sort of working with Donald Sutherland. I didn't do his hair, but he was on set. He was a great man, and and with Jude and Nicole and Renee. Yeah, I've worked with Donald. He's lovely. Yeah. And it's, it was yeah. a fantastic cast. Brendan Gleeson and really lovely. And uh, I sort of quite like the hair in that, you know, that sort of tons of flowing auburn, like strawberry blonde hair. Yeah, it was pretty. (laughs) And then it looks like you went, I don't want to go through everything, but I think the transition from Cold Mountain into Stepford Wives, that's quite a whole different situation, isn't it? I mean, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that must have been, I imagine, a lot of fun. I like the the blonde hair in Stepford Wives. Yeah. When when she's sort of like the reveal and the blonde, you know, from the Mm -hmm. short, short, um, dark hair. Yeah, well, it's nice to be able to, I don't know, have such a character change within within a film. Well, that's always fun for us to do those sort of things, isn't it? You know, when you sort of like dress someone up. But one of my favourite looks I've ever done on Nicole was a film called Birth. Absolutely beautiful, um, I think. Is that the first time anyone had kind of seen her with hair like that? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, but I thought she looked great. There's there's a scene where she's at the theatre and I think it's Mm. one of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful shots I've ever seen of Nicole, I think. She looks absolutely incredible. She's in, it's just the eyes flickering and, and she's sitting very still. It's a beautiful scene. That's awesome. But for for that look, was that was that written into the script that she would have short brunette hair? She'd lost her husband. Right. She's so so she's almost defeminizing herself, you know what I mean? Sort of like okay. don't look at me, you know what I mean? Are you sort of like going through a change and mm-hmm. also um with director um, it's Jonathan. Yes, Jonathan. We Jonathan to, yep. to take the color, de-glamorize New York. So it was very gray and very cold, very right. still. She was wearing gray, mm-hmm. like gray clothes, gray skirts, little gray silk blouses in the freezing snow with a sort of colorless hair and sort of simple makeup. You know, it was really sort of, sort of, 
desaturizing New York, so to speak, you know, which I thought was a nice idea to do. Like, basically, I was using sort of Gene Seberg reference for the hair, you know. Right. And it's so it's so funny because even though she's going through that and trying not to be, like, trying to downplay how she looks, she still looks beautiful. <laughs> well, she looks, and, and I think it's the first time you see her without all that hair and without all the, yeah. the glam, glamour things going on. And it's, she, yeah. she still looks extraordinarily beautiful, I think. I tried to talk her into cutting her own hair off, but she wasn't, she wasn't having it. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start working with wigs? Was that like before getting into film or did the wigs kind of come along with working in film? I used to use them on commercials and things like this. Okay. Not in, in not at the level of, you know, there were sort of, you know, cheapy ones, you know, that I'd chop up for mm-hmm. a little bob or something like this. Or basically started on um, on Naked Tango, really. It was my first big wig moment. Okay. Yeah. And was that the first time you'd had something custom made or yes, were you la- still? Yes, lace front, yeah? yeah. And yes. And who did you, do you remember who you went to for that? Oh, the wig was de- um, designed before I was brought on board and was done by Paul oh, Huntley. Okay. Paul okay, Huntley cool. in New York, yeah. So it was all ready to go. You just had to work out how to. How to work, how to make get it, it work. on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, it, get it on the head and make it look believable. And then, because I'm always interested in how people learn how to work with wigs, because some people are lucky enough to have worked under someone who can teach them all the ins and outs with wigs, and then others just kind of have to work it out themselves. Basically, so, I, worked it, I worked it out myself in a sense, you know. Yeah. But I feel like you've worked with some pretty amazing quality wigs, so that's always very helpful too, isn't it? <laughs> it makes it like a lot easier than when you're not. And I love my Peter Owens. <laughs> Who doesn't? I've had some beautiful wigs, beautiful wigs done by him. Yeah. Is that who Nicole normally uses as Peter Owen? Yeah, we, we, we did. We used to, when I worked with her, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, Stepford's all Peter Owen. Um, the others, the hours... Yes, pretty much so, yeah. Nice. I love I love how certain actors and actresses are really happy to go with wigs to help get that look and that change. Well, I think, you know, you're saving your own hair as well because it can get so damaged daily maintenance, you know what I mean? Oh, totally. You know, yeah. with constant use of colouring and, and dyeing to, to, to get to that point of what the character needs to be or what you want it to be, you know, you can quite often sort of put a lot of stress on the hair and all and a lot yeah. of the and a lot of the groundwork can be done without you being there. Yeah. You can get a bit of the prep in before <laughs> before they get into the chair. It's like I love the Dolly Parton line, you know, who does your hair shit? How do I know I'm never there? <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that. That's awesome. You haven't heard that? Oh, I think it's genius line. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So with having such a varied career, really, I mean, salon, fashion, film, print, runway, how different do you find fashion is to film just in your everyday working Oh, extremely. I mean, fashion, you're, you're with a crew of probably about 10 or 12 people, you know. Yeah. And it's much more involved, sort of those, you know, you, you sort of have conversations with the stylist um, and, you know, the fashion editors, photographer, you know, what lighting and sort of where we're going to go, what, what, you know, what the little story is of the of the shoot and, and how you're going to mm-hmm. make your characters look and and things like this and i think as the years have gone on they've got much more they've got a much more of a production than when i first started first of all you turn up with a hairdryer and a few brushes and some hairspray you know yeah. and now it's sort of <laughs> and now it's almost trunks of wigs <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> It's um, yeah. it's it's a, a little bit more it's a little bit more evolved, a little bit more stylized. But that's what they're going through, sort of look wise at the moment, which I which I love actually. I love because you know who wants to see everyday normal? You know we can see that in the street. You know it's it's yeah. nice to see things that are a bit aspirational and and a little bit sort of um, above the norm. Absolutely, but I'm guessing that having those conversations with the photographer and talking about lighting and all that type of stuff definitely helps when you move into the film world to kind of look around and go okay so the lighting's a bit like this maybe we need to you know adjust this a little bit and Mm -hmm. still be able to have those kinds of conversations with the people you need to in the film world 
we can we can see what they're doing to a face, what lighting does to a face. It's, I mean, and what light can do to a wig, whereas we all know mm. they'd kill it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. or kill the person that's doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, what are you doing? What are they doing? What are they? Are they looking at the monitor? Are they seeing what's happening right now? Ah! A nice bit of side light on a lace. It's always attractive. You know what I mean? Oh. It's like, ah, help! <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I was. I was at one point. I was working with someone. I won't remain nameless. I was going to make my mm. own scrim and take in through a bit of shadow across the board. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's just like you feel like just yelling out, would you help me out a little bit here? <laughs> exactly. Um, so throughout your career, what mm-hmm. do you feel like was the single best bit of advice you were ever given? Single best bit of advice. That's a tough one. This really tough stylist when I was first doing my apprenticeship, really yeah. tough bitch she was. Horrible woman. <laughs> There's always she, one. She told me I'd make more money on the street corner than doing hairdressing, so I'd get out of her fucking sight. <laughs> Um, that's a good piece of advice. Because I thought yep. I you thought stuff you. <laughs> exactly. I said, I'll show you. Yeah. I think and I had I- something similar. It wasn't as, as, as harsh as I'm finding out that um, I have a, a softer story than you. Um, <laughs> but I remember going in to talk to the, one of the local hairdressers in my small town, and she was just like, well, do you want to work in the salon? And I was just like, well, yeah, but I want to get into, like, fashion and film or like something like that and she just kept going on about yeah I don't think that's right for you it's going to be really difficult and I don't know if you can do that and I just walked out of there going uh yeah I can (laughs) and you and you you hope she's gonna why don't you sort of get all your your CV together and Just a, just a small stack of DVDs and drop them off to work. <laughs> By the way, you were saying? Like it's a type of advice, but... But it gives you strength. Yeah, exactly. I've had some great people that have obviously encouraged me on the way, but there's been so many, I mean... Yeah. Well, what would you tell somebody? If you had somebody who wants to either get into fashion or film industry... Do your research, study... Look at references, never, you know, always sort of whether it's magazine, not magazines so much more like books or art books and things like this and really mm-hmm. do your research and, and things like this. And I, I see, I find those things fascinating and I've, I find old movies fascinating because yeah. I learn, you learn from them. And I think to me, one of the greatest cinema hairdressers was Sidney Gileroff. Do you know who he is? No, maybe I need to do my research. <laughs> no, no. He, he created all the looks for Hollywood in the 40s. Well, I think from the 30s. 40s and 50s and it okay. went into the 60s he sort of like designed Rita Hayworth's hair um, oh, Ava wow. Gardner okay. did all those girls all those amazing iconic beauties that we still probably reference to today yeah and he was I don't think he's ever part of the union I think he worked off set but he designed all the all the looks and then I think it was like someone like Joan Crawford wouldn't do a movie without him designing a hair for her. Oh, wow. You know, and just because he inspired sort of fashion of the time yeah. and also mm-hmm. and still like 60, 70 years later, 80 years later, yeah. we're still looking at, at those things and those images when you see the most beautiful waves and the most gorgeous oh. polished hair. And yeah, stunning. Work, a lot of it obviously was wig work as well, um, but yeah. absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing stuff. I wonder if he had something to do with – I noticed recently when I was working on something that was set in the 50s and we were looking mm. at images of some of those actresses in mm-hmm. their earlier days and noticing mm-hmm. that a couple of them, their hairlines changed quite dramatically. Right. And I remember the costume designer came back and she was just like, I think they had had some type of electrolysis or something done on their hairline to adjust it, like to open their face out, to open right. the forehead up larger. I wonder if he had kind of something to do with Well, I think that's that. a famous story about Rita Hayworth, wasn't it? They, they Didn't they Was heighten Was it Rita her, that we were looking at? Yeah. Uh, the, like they her heightened, forehead. They heightened, yeah, heightened forehead because she had sort of a lower forehead and then they and they made her hair red. Of Obviously, she's a brunette. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that but, kind of change back then is quite fascinating to me. It's just like, wow, that's a – 
real effort to go through to it's not something I think I would think about is changing someone's hairline <laughs> exactly because you're changing the whole structure of the, of the face yeah you know I've lowered hairlines for movies yeah you know when you're creating a character lowering you know having the wig made lower and things like this so, so mm-hmm. you can sort of change proportion but heightening is a it's a bit more serious <laughs> you know yeah especially electrons but but there was a fame there's a famous movie like the 1930s one called The Women I don't know whether you've ever uh-huh. seen it. You, it's a very famous movie, and it's only women in it. There's no men in the movie at all. Okay, and it has like Joan Crawford, Norma Shearer, oh, a bunch of Rosalind Russell, a whole bunch of fabulous actresses in it. And there's, they all go to a salon called Sydney's, and they get at their head with gossip, and it's that's reference to Sidney Gillerop, a, a nod to him. Ah, okay, wow. That's cool. But he was the most genius, genius hairdresser that I think I've ever, his work I've ever seen. And so inspirational, so inspirational. So that's what I'd say to someone. Look at those movies. Look at those books. Look at those fabulous women that have given us so much and enjoy it and run with it. Yeah. Be inspired by it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I also wanted to ask, what do you find most challenging about our line of work? Um, Sometimes the hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have to agree with that, absolutely. No. I enjoy I enjoy meeting new people, working with new people. Sometimes I'm a bit yeah. intimidated by them, but, you know, you get over that, I guess, in a sense. I always feel like it's like on a new job, it's like the first day of school. Exactly. Like I get those those nerves of, oh, there's going to be new people to meet and work with, and like it's exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking. But I think, but I think there's, that's what gives you the energy to do it, I think. So it's also... You know, think, all right, okay, here here we go. It's like, you know, sort of like doing Mrs. America, for instance. You know, such a big cast and a big crew. And um, I was, and the first time I'd worked with Kate as well. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't sure how to work with her, sort of, so to speak. But I've heard nothing yeah. but great reports about her. So, you know, I knew, yeah. but, you know. You can have great reports, but you could do. I could do a lousy job, and she could get upset too. You know what I mean? So you know, I was like, so you just have to find your footing, don't you? Yeah, exa- it's exactly. Just... But it, it's like with most things in life, you know. Once you sort of get there, you, you once you figure it all out, then it's pretty much easier. You just go. Oh, it's much flow. easier. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Find your mojo. Um, the Great Gatsby is incredible, and I think most hairstylists in the world will refer to it at least once in their life as being like, "Wow, I wish I could have worked on that." It was it was a great show to work on. We had great, uh, we had a sort of six weeks prep, which is unheard of. Yeah, it's lucky. <laughs> well, well, you know, it was a big, big job, and those big scenes, and Baz wanted it all polished and things like this. So we had we had workshops um, for people that didn't have that weren't used to putting the wigs on see having that time is that prep time to be able to do that yeah that's lucky and i i must have single-handedly cut 200 wigs for that oh my god <laughs> and um you know but i enjoyed that you, you sat there with your little block and there were little cheap i'm talking little cheap wigs for background do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and yeah. um i sat there with my little razor chopping those little things up you know, it was so funny because everyone assumes everybody had a bob in the 20s, which they didn't. And I was reading the no. correct way to do finger waves in mm-hmm. the book of rules of hairdressing is yeah. to razor the hair. So you eliminate the weight and you have ends that are easier to mold, which absolutely makes sense. Absolutely mm-hmm. makes sense. Because you try to do a finger wave on a bob. Yeah. And you finish up with a lump at the bottom. Yeah. You know? And to raise yeah. that up them out. Just have those tapered ends. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know? And it looks much more believable, you know? So and I was sort of like saying, right, this is how I'm gonna do it. We decided mm-hmm. um with Catherine Martin, CM, the costume designer, that we should yeah. all the hair should look like they're wearing bathing caps, basically. Wow. You know, little tight little things. Then we had to figure out a way of obviously there were girls with hair down to their backside practically coming in as mm-hmm. extras and background. How to figure out a way to make that look short or get it yeah. under a wig. So that, that those are the things we figured out. And it was was great. What devised this look? I'd finger wave the front on the very long hair and leave mm-hmm. it to ear level. 
then, yep. take, then section it off and take the back into two ponytails so diagonally across yep. the back and then put them in little little um, latex elastics and then wet mm-hmm. the hair and pin curl that so it looks short in little pin curls under with grips underneath and then wave the ah. other hair over the top and hide it ah. in so it all looks like they had bobbling hair. That's great. You know, but it was so, sort of – it took a while, but it, we sort of yeah. got there in the end. You know, um, but on on big days on set, we had about forty hairdressers. Oh my goodness! You know, we had one That's soundstage amazing. doing. One soundstage was just for hair and makeup in mirrors. Yeah. You know, yeah. for some of those big party scenes. And then I remember you saying something about because for people's turnaround and stuff like that, you were having oh, yeah. a, another team of people come in to well, the people, a group of um, guys, um, girls and guys from the Sydney Opera come in and, yeah. and, and, and dress the wigs for us. So everybody is numbered and allocated, and we had a portable wig wardrobes basically that were on wheels yeah so we'd have everyone was numbered so extra extra number three would have wig number say three six eight or nine or whatever like mm-hmm. so 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 their wigs so they would be stuck on the wrong person on the wrong day whatever yeah and, yeah yeah and it was a really but leslie vandervelt sort of orchestrated most of that for us and she was she's fantastic as we know. Absolutely. She just got in there and helped organise that yeah, situation. Exactly. I don't think anybody else could have done it. I don't, I mean, I know I couldn't have, you know. <laughs> we could I now because like... you've seen it done. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't do it as well. Oh. <laughs> but, um, no, I'm sort of proud of Gatsby. Oh, well, it's beautiful. And, I mean, working with Baz Luhrmann, come on. That's, yeah. Everything he does is pretty beautiful. I mean, yeah, he, exactly. you did Australia too, right? Yes, I did Australia with him, yeah, which is nice. Nice nice to be home. Nice to see part of Australia that I'd never seen before as well. Yeah, where was that shot? Most of the interiors were done on stage um, in Sydney at at, um, at, at Fox Studios. Um, but all the outback was up in the Kimberleys, up in the northwest and the Northern oh, Territory beautiful. up in Darwin. Nice. I haven't been up that way. It's brilliant. It's absolutely beautiful. It's 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 like going to another another planet. It's quite spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> Australia is another planet, though, isn't it, yeah. Terry? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. <laughs> I'm not. It's fascinating. It's just all the animals and the insects and the, well, the you landscape. Can talk. New Zealand is like... <laughs> <so> bad. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> okay, I'll stop. Um, <laughs> Just so everybody knows, I'm married to an Australian, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, exactly. Okay, you're allowed to say it. You can get away with it. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And then I just finally wanted to ask you, um, is there anyone that you would like to hear interviewed on the Last Looks podcast? Who do you think would be interesting to listen to? I think, well, Leslie, Leslie Vandervelt. Yeah, I think so too. You know, yeah. she's she's. Uh, a talent on its own and a force on her own, I think. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kerry. Um, you have been a true delight. Oh, thank you so much, Jamie Lee. There's no need to be polite to me now. It's all over. <laughs> Why start now? <laughs> thank you. Right, thank you so much. And I hope it's informative. And hairdressers, get out there and do it and have fun. We're in a great, great business and it's fantastic. And you I agree. Never, it's endless. And I'm still learning to this day and hopefully I've learned something today. It's Awesome. For links to keep up with more of Kerry's work, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or in our episode notes at www.thelastlookspodcast.com. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people!